Hi folks, good evening. Welcome to my channel. And I want to thank you for joining me on a Friday night. I know a lot of people in Hong Kong listen to this broadcast as well, so I know it's quite late for you guys, but thank you for joining. I'm excited to have Alex Hughes join me this evening. He has built a startup and entrepreneurial community of his own called Shifties, which um, I'm proud to also be a part of, and we'll be getting into that this evening. I'm also recording this live onto my new podcast channel, and so um, I want to welcome all my new podcast listeners. We will be um, talking tonight about leadership. We will be getting into the details of what we think make a good leader. We'll be trying to share knowledge on how to build communities and how ultimately to build a business that can scale and a business that is successful. We'll be talking a little bit about what success is, defining that too, so stay tuned. If you have any questions during the broadcast between me and Alex this evening, please drop it in uh, the comments below. We will uh, pop those questions onto the screen so that the community can also answer those questions. And of course, myself and Alex would do our very best to, to give you our feedback and insights. Just before I bring Alex on and we uh, begin the, the chat this evening, I just want to highlight that uh, on my Simon Squibb podcast, I've just released a fascinating interview with a, a guy called George Christophus. He um, dropped out of the corporate world to follow a more fulfilling life um, in his early 30s. And he talks about why he did that and, and what the outcome was. I think uh, I, I knew George when he did this and I actually admire him a lot. He had a pretty successful media sales career, um, getting headhunted by the likes of The Economist. But he just felt that that career path, although financially rewarding, wasn't feeding his soul and wasn't right for him. And he talks about his journey into this new universe and how even today people think he's the odd one. And when he perhaps uh, considers people that just follow the path for the sake of following the path, um, perhaps they're, they're the odd ones. I had the honour to um, interview the founder of Tri Yoga, which for anyone who's ever been in London and, and tried to go for a, a quality yoga session, he owns, um, the, 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 in my view, one of the top brands in, in London for yoga. He has an, a community of 400,000 people that use his facilities. And he started out as a lawyer. And a bit like I was just mentioning about George, he, he decided to change his path, change his career, and, and stop being a lawyer, which was a, a difficult thing to do. A prestigious role, guaranteed income, um, but it wasn't right for him, um, like I mentioned with George. And he decided to give that all up and ended up opening up Try Yoga. So if you, if you haven't caught that podcast yet, then just um, tell Siri or Alexa to, uh, to play the Good Luck Club podcast and, and, and get stuck in. It's an hour-long podcast, this particular session, so, um, I, I, but I absolutely recommend you listen to it. I've, I've started 17 companies from scratch, invested in over 66 companies. I still learn a lot during, during the interview, so I'm sure you will too. Okay, Alex is here now. Uh, I can see he's, uh, he's in the waiting room, and I think we've got all the audio working, so I'm, I'm going to bring him on so uh, we can get the show on the road. Hey Alex, how you doing? If I then you're my friend. I know, I know you're in Italy, right? So we might be, okay? uh, we might be having dodgy Wi-Fi. Can't quite hear you yet. How's it going? Yep, this is going to be a fun broadcast. Um, this, this, is, this is the downside with uh, technology today, isn't it? Let's hope it clears up. I, I can just I can just fill the vacuum with talking while we while we hope that it kind of pans out. For, uh, while we wait for Alex's tech to work, I will just highlight as well that um, I had a fantastic live chat with Bernard Moon um, um, yesterday. He is one of uh, Silicon Valley's leading early stage VCs. He's invested in over uh, 200 
early stage companies. He shared his view on how to raise money during COVID era, what the opportunities are to um, perhaps invest right now or build a company right now, what sectors could, could, could work, what sectors could be useful um, in, in a COVID era or the new normal. So if you want to get the insight from an early stage VC uh, based in Silicon Valley, then you know, please, please tune in. Again, you can go to my YouTube channel, which some of you perhaps are listening to now, youtube.com forward slash Simon Squibb, and you can grab Bernard Moon's uh, insights and he will share with you what's happening in Silicon Valley. Now, what's interesting um, from that interview, in my view, is that Silicon Valley is evolving a bit. And these days, they're, um, they're doing a lot more than, than just investing locally. Used to be in Silicon Valley, you were investing one skateboard right away. But that's all changed. And they're investing globally now, which is, which is really exciting. Um, now I'm still waiting for Alex to come on. Seems he's got some technical difficulties. He's he's uh, he's in Italy at the moment. Normally he's he's in the UK, so we don't have these technical problems. But it looks like he's having some some Wi-Fi issues. So um, while I wait for him, if you guys have any business questions, feel free to to throw them up and ask me. Um, I'll just say a quick hello to a few people. Oh, uh, hi Luke, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Hi Connor, nice to see you too. Hey James, thanks for joining. Hi Sarah, nice to see you. Thanks very much. So yeah, guys, if you have any questions, um, and I've noticed with uh, StreamYard, the system I'm now using for live broadcast, if you don't add yourself to the StreamYard um, protocol, your, your, your details don't come up, so I can't shout out your name and say hello. So I'm um, sorry if I haven't mentioned a few people that are here that I, don't, I can't see your names, because I think StreamYard only, only allows it if you've registered. But, um, but for those that I can see, hello. And for those that I can't, maybe pop a comment in, and I'll be able to perhaps... Um, answer answer it uh okay okay so yeah i think um alex is just trying to fix his tech so let's see if, if he gets that fixed right in the meantime perhaps i can share with you while we while we wait for alex to join something i've talked about before but the kind of concept of of luck now i know that for a lot of people out there luck is a random thing they don't believe that luck is something that necessarily um, they can rely on in business. And I'm here to tell you that luck is actually a skill and you can, in fact, rely on luck. Now, I know myself uh, in business that I've had a few moments that if I hadn't been lucky, I wouldn't have been successful. I think something a lot of successful entrepreneurs don't talk enough about. They don't talk about the fact that they were lucky. And I get why. If I say to you that I was lucky, perhaps you'll listen less to my insight videos and, and um, how to make it videos because, you know, I was lucky. So, but I, I, I do think talking about luck is, is an interesting thing. I do think talking about luck helps people. I don't mind telling people that I was lucky. I think that I was, but I also know that there's an element of, of my luck that I controlled. And so, of course, there are sayings like, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I don't believe that saying is true. And, and, and taking myself as an example, um, I, I actually got more lucky when I worked less hard. Um, when I brought other people in to run my company, for example, um, I worked less hard, they came in, they were more skilled. And so actually I was lucky uh, that, that I, I did that. I worked less hard and, and was more successful. So, so some of these sayings I want to smash, that's one of them. Looks like Alex is back, so I can talk a little bit more about my luck theory with, with Alex here. Let's see if it all works. Hey, Alex. Hey, can you hear us? How you doing, man? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can hear you now. How's it going? Yeah, you're fine. Great. Great. Looks like you got your tech sorted out. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Little, little bit of a lag. I, I, th I think Italy's not known for its brilliant Wi-Fi, I've got a feeling. Summit. You warned me about Okay, no problem. Shall I, shall I let you figure it out? Still, still not 100%, right? I'll let you figure it out. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, just jumping back to uh, luck. Now, I just want to ask you guys, do you, do you think um, luck is random or do you feel like luck is something you can control? Have you got a, a lucky story to share? I, I'd love to hear your views. I think that um, my, my personal uh, belief is that there are two types of luck and the dictionary needs an update. 
So one element of luck is, is the one that's in the present, present in the dictionary, which is this kind of random thing. Let's say where you were born. This is something you can't control. This is something that just kind of happens. Um, and, and then there's the, the second uh, type of luck, which I, I'm going to frame as you know, what you influence. And I don't think working hard necessarily is, is going to bring you more luck, despite that saying it seems to float around. The harder you work, the luckier you get. That's not true. Um, I think what is true, however, is that the three elements of luck are one is persistence. I think if you're persistent, and that's not about working hard, that's about persistence, different. Um, I also think that if you um, are clear on your destination, um, then, then that's the second element of, of uh, being luckier in life. And there is a third element. Let's see if I can bring Alex in to join me in this discussion. We can, we can uh, third time lucky. An ironic twist of fate. Let's see if Alex is uh, with us. How's it going? I'm really sorry. Oh, it, it happens. It's, uh, yeah, much better. I think. That, well, you tell me. Yeah, a little bit of a lag, but we can try. Why don't you talk for a minute, and I'll uh, and then you can say hello. What's going on? Hello. Yeah. So I am right now in the Amalfi Coast. It's uh, very nice here, it's lovely, but the Wi-Fi, as you warn me, is pretty poor. Right, yeah. It's, it's um, but, uh, uh, yeah. You can see Are the folks from uh, Shifties joining us this evening? Yep, so I will, um, I'll share in right now you can hear me okay right yes yeah, yes yeah, it's, it's it's not perfect but i think i think we're okay let's hope it warms up in italy it's all about the the warming up i think my experience the, the last time i went there uh, i, I went yeah. went to milan and you know had, had a very serious business call to attend to and had a similar problem with wi-fi so uh, can, can be a little bit stressful you know such is life Sack the Wi-Fi and plug in a cable. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Good advice there, man. I don't think it's always that simple, though. Um, but, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, 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 do you know the word for uh, plug-in cable in Italy? Okay, I'm just going to invite... Thank, I'm gonna yeah, you. that's fine. That's fine. Thanks, though, Jason. Um, I will... Um, yeah, I think, to be honest with you, Simon, I think... You're better off running the one. Cool. Sorry, you're better off running this session, I think, Simon. I'll 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 play in the comments. Oh, okay. Uh, right, I've got to uh, find something interesting to say then. L leave it with me. No problem. I'll do that, mate. I'll do that. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I'll get you back. I'll get you back. It's all good. Well, in fairness, last time, last time Alex uh, was on, I, um, I left the room and he, 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 was, he was left holding the bag to, uh, to run the whole show. But uh, uh, thanks, Jason. Appreciate your comment. I'll, I'll, I'll share that with Alex so he knows. Yeah. Hi, Wayne. Good to see you. Hi, Luke. How are you guys doing? Thanks very much for, uh, for, for joining. It's, um, yeah, it's Friday night here in London. Um, where are you guys? It's um, yeah. So anyway, while I while I uh, figure out what I'm going to talk about this evening, maybe you guys can tell me what I need to talk about. And we, me and Alex were going to um, jump off each other, so I, I didn't really have anything particularly planned. Um, okay, Wayne, good question. So thanks for rescuing me. So I was just I can carry on talking about luck if you like, but I'm sure people are sick of me talking about that subject. Um, so uh, Wayne, thanks. Uh, how do you value a company? It's it's a really good question, and I and I have to say that it's one that I, I I've always struggled with. Now, uh, the first thing I'll say is that I, I do believe a company is worth what someone will pay for it. So, so a lot of the time, valuation is, is subjective. I can tell you about my own uh, story. So, you know, I, as many of you know, I had a, an agency called Fluid, um, HQ'd out of Hong Kong. We were the largest independent creative agency in the region, servicing China, servicing um, Singapore, servicing the region. And PwC, the accounts company, one of the big four, 
decided that they wanted to um, pivot into the marketing creative services. And of course, they have a massive client base where they already service the Fortune 500 companies almost um, by default. All, all the big four get those relationships um, no matter what. So they had all the client relationships. So they, they didn't need me for my sales and marketing prowess. What they did need, however, was our history, our case studies, what we'd done, what we'd achieved, and what we were able to do for their clients and how then PwC could monetize that. So uh, what was interesting about the conversation was um, in the past, that business, many people had approached me to buy that company. So one of the typical buyers of a business like mine is WPP. Now WPP's typical approach would be they would say, right, we'll give you three times turnover or 10 times profit, but then an earn out on top of that. So in other words, you know, you, you, you'd have a two or three year um, built in clause where you'd have to work in the business to um, get the extra. Um, and and that, that's how they did it. And I, and I always rejected those offers. Um, don't get me wrong, those offers were standard industry offers and they were quite a lot of money. But I, I didn't want to work for a big corporation. That's not why I started my own company in the first place. Um, equally, I always felt like you know I, I didn't need to sell. Um, the business would uh, throw off a lot of lot of cash, frankly. And equally, um, I used to leverage that agency business for my investment. So I'd invest in a startup, and part of my um, support for that startup would then be able to offer my agency services to to help make those uh, businesses more successful. So. And not only did it make money for me, it was also a fantastic tool to support um, my other other business activities. So um, I never really wanted to sell it. So what WP would offer, actually, I would always get to the top end of what these institutional um, buyers would, would 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 offer. But I never I never said yes. But it was great being able to say no because they'd keep coming back with with more. And I think that's part of it. It's just like sales, right? You. You kind of you want. If, I think if you're selling a business, in my view, you've got to want to not sell it. That's how uh, you get ridiculous offers like five billion for Snapchat, or um, I mean, it was six billion Google offered to buy Groupon. You remember Groupon? So you know, often it's because the people who own these companies, run these companies, don't want to sell it, and that's where you can increase the value exponentially. And and and, and with uh, my company sale to PwC. In a way, uh, the, the numbers were worked around what PwC could do with that business, not what we had done with that business. Now, we were quite a, a, a sizable business but um, by traditional sense, but we, you know, we weren't global, for example. But plugging that business into PwC's 50 office global network, um, you could argue uh, pretty quickly, and, and taking the model that we'd made work in the markets that we were in, they could see, frankly, um, a lot of money coming in. And so uh, the way that they did it is they, they, they didn't, actually what I liked about the deal, first of all, was when they bought the company, they didn't need me, which is great because I, I wanted to do other things and I didn't want to go work for PwC. And they didn't need me because what I brought to the table was marketing and, and, and sales. And frankly, you know, with their 500, Fortune 500 relationships, they, they, didn't, they didn't need that, which is great. So they could buy my company and replace me. Um, and, and that was cool. Equally, um, they, they, they were very clever with numbers, no, no, no surprise, being uh, an accounts and audit firm. So they, they basically priced it, and I can't say too much because actually some of it's under confidentiality, um, but they priced it based on what the business could do. Um, and they, they basically wanted to buy the business um, with the concept of you know, saving themselves time because then they, they could throw the sort of money they were going to pay to buy the business out of just building the business from scratch, but they would take them three, four years to get close to us and then frankly they'd be competing with us so by buying us they did two things they removed us from the market as competition and they also bought time and then uh, so when we're negotiating on price we, we could play with that that you know they could wait three years and invest and then compete or they could buy out one of the people that would compete with them and instantly have the business and and because of all those uh, different elements we've got we got a, a, a I think a very, very reasonable, very high valuation for the business. Now, you could argue that's a unique case, but one thing I learned is that when, if you're looking to sell your business, don't fish in the pond you think you should fish in. So most people that own an agency like mine, they get bought by people like WPP. They're the ones that bought Ogilvy, for example. You know, that, that's where you would normally fish. But we fished outside that pond with an, in, with an industry player that was big at scale, 
that could plug in what we had into their business and 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 make a huge huge company uh, from it so so and that meant that the valuation was very different to well we're already in your space and therefore we're just going to absorb you into what we've already got um, and therefore you know this is the metric in which we do it whereas if you work with a player outside the industry it can be a whole new piece for them um, so you know but if you've already got Olgavi well, you've got, you know, uh, the WPP had all these other brands generating, you know, let's call it agency revenue for them. We would just be one more cog in that system. But in the PwC example, we were the cog. And I think that meant that the valuation was, was hugely, hugely different. Um, so, so, but valuation is, is, is also a really about, you know, what, what, and if you're looking, if you're talking about it, Wayne, in the context of um, raising money, I think a lot of it is, is based around what you need to make the business work. Um, and then at the end of that stage, once that money's been invested in the business is working, what would the company be worth? So of course, in early stage companies, no one's valuing these businesses on, on profit or turnover. But traditionally, that is how companies are valued. And so um, in, in evaluation of a, of a brand new company, really it is about potential and then the appetite for the people to invest at that, at that potential. So that, that's something to keep in mind, uh, Wayne, when, when, you're, when you're thinking about it. Please give me a follow-up question and give me a bit more context. Are you talking about valuation from an investor perspective, evaluation from, from uh, trying to raise capital perspective, or are you talking about from I'm going to sell my company perspective? And I'll, and I'll try to help a little bit more uh, with that. Um, Alex is sending me a note from the waiting room. Let me see. Uh, you're now live, Shifty's evening, everyone. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Alex, for sharing. Uh, thanks for that, mate. I'd like to know, would anyone be interested in JV improving the 4G infrastructure in... Ha! <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, we, we need to improve the uh, Wi-Fi. There's an opportunity. See, Alex goes on holiday. Alex Hughes, everyone. I'm going to be saying. Alex Hughes goes on holiday. And this, this is what it's like for an entrepreneur, right? So as I mentioned to you guys earlier at the beginning of the broadcast, uh, for the people that are, are, are from my channel, um, Alex is uh, an entrepreneur through and through. He's, he's got an entrepreneurial community, which is kind of a give back community that he's, he's, he's built where people help each other. And he's, uh, he, he lives in my hometown of St. Neots. Um, and so uh, he, he, you know, he goes on holiday, first time I think in a, in a year, after frankly a crazy year like we've all had. He goes on, on, on holiday, has a bit of time off. First, he arrives at the hotel Friday night right now, tries to get online to talk to me and talk to you guys and work. Uh, and now he's seen a, 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 an investment opportunity probably to, to, to fix uh, Italy's Wi-Fi problems. But, um, but he's got some competition for that one, I think. But, um, so, um, yeah, uh, I've got a, oh, New Key Homes. How, what a, what a great name you've got there. I know that's not your real name. I recognise your face, I've forgotten your name now, but I know it's not New Key Homes, but I like it. It's now like plugging the brand. So very good. Um, do you see higher valuations in tech or in product companies too? Sadly, at New Key Homes, um, should I call you Mr? Mr New Key Homes? I, I, I basically, I'm, I'm, sad to, I'm sad about the fact that it's tech companies that seem to get the high valuations and product companies um, don't. Um, that being said, I mean, it's interesting. Let's, let's take an example of something recently that I was looking at on the valuation side. Um, Ocado, which for those outside, I know a lot of my listeners are in Hong Kong, so it's quite late for you now. You probably listen to this in the morning. And I, I, I know Ocado is a home delivery business here in the UK. Um, in, in China, of course, you've got many, many players that do this. But basically, they were, they were disrupting the supermarkets and doing... Yes, Cliff, thanks. Um, doing doing uh, home deliveries. Now, Ocado, this is what they did, Cliff. This is what, they, what happened to them. They, um, they were trading below their valuation, uh, below, below their profit. Uh, and, they, so, and, and the reason they were trading that way was because they were competing with Tesco's and Sainsbury's. And they, they dipped when Warren Buffett invested in Tesco's. They're like, well, you know, the, these companies aren't, you know, are going to catch up. Tesco's and those guys are going to catch up with Ocado. And the valuation of Ocado really dropped. Then Ocado did something clever. Ocado literally changed the sentence on their explanation. And instead of saying they were a food home delivery business, they said, um, hey, uh, we're now selling our back-end backbone system software to the likes of um, big German supermarkets and big French supermarkets and so on. So now not only are we no longer just in the UK, we're also a software company. We're not a product-based delivery company. 
and their valuation skyrocketed overnight because of it. And actually all they really did was just change, change how they explained themselves. So, um, but, but I do see high valuations in tech companies and it's obvious why, because in theory, they can scale exponentially. Product companies can also scale. I mean, Coca-Cola's valuation is, isn't bad, right? So, you know, I, I think you have to um, look at things case by case. But generally, product companies have quite a big cost base from a, from a product perspective. They have a baseline product. I mean, Coca-Cola is probably an exception, but quite often, you know, I know I used to own some restaurants, so I know, you know, 50% of the restaurant cost is, is often in the food. You know, and, and yes, if you will manage it, you can get it down to 25%. And I've seen businesses running food costs at 12%, but you wouldn't want to eat there. Um, but, you know, so, 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 but ultimately they've got a cost of goods, uh, cost of sale in, in the goods price. And that will always hinder them. Whereas in the tech businesses, in theory, once you've built the core tech, you can, you can generate a lot of money from that tech uh, without necessarily increasing your, your team size. Google is a fantastic example, I think, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there's an amazing graphic somewhere in the internet where it shows how many employees Google has versus their profit versus, for example, the amount that GM, the, the, the motor company, have versus their profit. And I, and I think it was something like six times more employees at GM, and, um, but Google has four times their revenue. So, so that's why tech companies get a high valuation. Um, and so, so yeah, that, hopefully, Cliff, I've answered your question. Thank you for reminding me of your name. Forgive me. Um, I won't forget again. I'm really bad with names, but hopefully I won't forget again. Uh, so I've got a follow-up question from, from Wayne. Uh, is the valuation higher as an acquisition versus an investment? Well, it de depends on what side of the, the fence you're sitting on. Of course, if it's an investment, anyone that's making an investment generally always wants the valuation to be more reasonable. So... Interestingly enough, though, I mean, I, I just um, had a live broadcast, which you guys can check out on my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash Simon Squibb, where we talk about valuation with Bernard Moon, who's one of the um, leading uh, early stage investors based in Silicon Valley. He invests all over the world, but he's based in Silicon Valley. And he was sharing knowledge about how, uh, of course, investments, people always want to get the best value for money. But generally, the sophisticated investors actually often price things up. So in other words, a startup founder will come and say, this is what I need to raise and this is the value of my company. And, and, and the savvy investor will say, you're not charging enough, you're selling too much equity too early and you need to increase the valuation of your business. Otherwise, you know, come Series A, Series B, Series C, pre-IPO, pre you're going to end up with zero, near zero equity, which makes it, it, dis, it disincentivizes you to make this business work. So if you're a savvy investor, that cycle, you actually end up wanting to make sure that people actually value their businesses properly, not undervalue or overvalue. But most of the time, if you're sitting on the investment side, I mean, I look at Dragon's Den as a, as a, as a good example. Quite often, those guys will try to get the most amount of equity for the least amount of money. And, and in, in some businesses, that can work. But in most businesses, the, the more equity you take away from the founder, the, 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 the less they feel ownership. And, and if you get the, you know, if you get the founder, and this happens often to below 51%, then we'll say 49%, they start to feel like an employee of the company. And that, that's a big problem. So um, I, I always, you know, think about it, think that I want 5% of Facebook, not 51% of MySpace. So equity also doesn't matter. Um, acquisition, again, higher value on acquisition just really relates, in my view, to how, who wants what. So if I... I see a lot of people that wait until they're burnt out on their businesses to try and sell it and they get quite low prices on it because they're, they're desperate to sell and it comes across in the negotiation. The best way is you don't want to sell but you're talking to people that want to buy and you can create a dynamic where they want you more than you need them. That can, that can create huge value just in that in negotiation stance. If you, can, if you can be in the position where, that, you know, and, and frankly, I, I feel like I had this with PwC. PwC needed my company more than I needed them. They could, for the money that they pay for my business, they, they could have easily built what I'd built, but it would have taken them two, three, four years and uh, a lot of pain. And then they'd still have me in the market to compete with. <laughs> so, so um, you know, what, what we didn't do is say, uh, oh, we, you know, we, we want to sell, we want out. No, we, we, that, that, that does not, that's not clever to negotiate that way. Now, that wasn't how we felt either. We had a good business and, and we, 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 were, we were happy with it. But, but I think that, that creates different, 
valuation on the, on the acquisition side. So to your question, acquisition or investment, it's all about framing. It's, it's all about the strategy on the sales side. Um, okay, so Alex is helping me out with a new question. Let me just pop this up. Thanks, Alex. Um, if you could only hire three roles in the startup for the first 12 months, what roles would you prioritize? It's a good question and hard to answer because it depends on the startup. So uh, my, my first bit of advice around, around that would be whatever skills you don't have that you know you're weak in, make sure you've got job description ready and you've got people lined up to help you. Uh, I know I'm not allowed to say it depends. Okay, Alex is saying I'm not allowed to say it depends. But, but you know, I, I think the depends bit would definitely be, and it has to be included, like if, when I'm starting a business, as I'm doing now, the first person I tend to hire or the first person I, I bring into the business is an accountant because I'm not good at that stuff. I can do it. I've learned it over the years. I don't particularly enjoy it and, and I don't want to be focused on it and I don't want it to be badly managed. So I have a, an accountant on retainer really um, you know, for as long as I can remember. So, so, uh, but I always look to get that, that sorted out. And then, you know, um, I, myself, interestingly enough, I, 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 I can talk about the business I'm, I'm building now. I, I love social media. I'm quite savvy with social media. I enjoy it. Uh, and I love marketing in general. I, I, I really enjoy it. But interestingly enough, I wanted to bring in a marketing person because one of the dangers... Um, when I moved to Hong Kong, someone said to me, oh, you know, are you going to learn the language? I said, yeah, sure, I'll learn the language. And they said... You know, one thing about learning the language which is bad is that if you learn the language, you can become a taxi driver, which is nothing wrong with being a taxi driver, but it means you've got an escape route. Whereas if I don't know the language, I can't become a taxi driver. I've got to communicate, hire people to help me build the business and so on and communicate at a different level. Point being that I know I can do marketing. And so therefore, yes, the easy route would be for me to go and do the marketing for my business. And I did for the first three months to set the systems up. But as soon as I can replace myself, I do. Because if I'm, if I'm busy doing all the, let's say, the managing of social media in this particular case, then in a way, I'm, 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 I'm not doing the things I could also be doing well. So, for example, thinking about partnerships with, with uh, folks uh, like, like Shifties and how I can partner up and, and support that ecosystem and you guys work while also trying to follow through on my mission of help one million people start a business of their own so you know i, I want to be spending my t time on building those relationships and those partnerships and i, I personally got some big partnerships that I'm, I'm working on that that hopefully will end up helping people start businesses and help people uh, ultimately um, that do have businesses scale them um with with advice on things like this or or with the right contact or, or the right partnership so so, yeah, I think, you know, it sounds counterintuitive, but I, I, I hire someone that can do some of the things that I can do um, as soon as I can. And the good thing about doing that as well is it, it means you can probably have a holiday. So um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that equally, uh, it's, not, it's not... Hiring someone in a role that you don't understand is dangerous. So, for example, in my early career, I hired a CTO. And I didn't really know how to program. And that person only needs to know like five minutes more than me in that subject to be an expert, right? And I wouldn't know if they were or were not. So I always try to, if, if I've got a tech business, for example, I always try to hire someone who, um, as a partner, who isn't going to be you know, selling me what they can do and, and, and not really caring. They're, they're going to be delivering on it because it's their, their skin in the game along with mine, so their money in the business or their time in the business. And their reputation in the business and and so I try to think outside the box of hiring someone and, and think about what would I need in this business as a partner and then I make that I make that role filled with a partner and that person would then hire someone um, so yeah I mean I, I'm probably answering three roles I probably hire are someone to replace me as soon as possible the key hire that is the opposite skill to me so let's say an accountant in, in, is for argument's sake and then Finally, I, I, I make sure I had a co-founder or partner in the business that could hire the third role, whatever that may be, in, in the area that would be needed to scale the business, often tech. Um, I've got to know tech now through all my investments um, and, and, and so on, but, but I'm by no means an expert. So, so I, you know, I'm, I was bringing a partner to do the tech and that tech partner would then hire 
uh, the people that would be needed to, to build that business. Um, so Alex is kindly uh, feeding me with a few things. Uh, I And having you around has been so valuable, especially moments. Oh, thanks very much. Appreciate that, Alex. It's very kind of you. In, I thought it was going to be a question, not a compliment, so I, um, I threw it up there. So maybe I should change it so it doesn't look like I'm just throwing up comments from people about how amazing I am. Because actually, I don't think I am. I think I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to help. It's actually a really interesting time right now. It's both scary and interesting. I think um, for a lot of you guys, you know I, I, I actually retired and, and stopped working for a few years. Um, and by retirement, I, you know, all entrepreneurs, when we say we retire and what we're really doing, I've written a book um, which will be out in the uh, next eight weeks. I've um, I built a podcast show uh, interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers and getting them to share their insights, network and story. And I've, uh, I've, I've been building out content that I think could be useful for people starting a business, growing a business and, and so on. And, and, and you know, that, that's my retirement, Do, doing whatever I want and not having to, for me, retirement is about not having to worry about income, not having to worry about doing these initiatives um, and, and, and worrying about having to do them to, to make money. Um, I love that feeling that you can just give back, you can help people, you can give them advice. I mean, yesterday on my live show, I was really quite excited about a startup and I wasn't thinking about that startup from, from I could make money out of investing in this startup. I thought about how I could introduce them to someone, and I did, that could invest in their business and would be incredibly useful to them. So I, I come second to the need of the startup or I come second to the need of the founder. And, and I feel really privileged I can think that way because most of the time you have to earn a living. So my, my thought would be, okay, you know, how can I get equity in this startup so I can increase my portfolio value and, and, and make money? Um, but it's really nice to be in this stage in life where you can just help people without needing anything in return. Now I'm getting some um, good questions. Let me just bring on... Sorry, text what I can come up. Um, hey there, good to see you, mate. I, uh, I see you regularly in live broadcasts, so I feel like I know you, but, but let me uh, read your question. Uh, when you invested in businesses, how often did you have board level meetings or do you get regular reports sent to you? Um, okay, so every company was different. I mean, I've, I've been involved in 66, well, I am invested and have been involved in 66 startups. So I couldn't physically be involved in every board meeting. Personally, I, I rarely now um, accept an invitation to join a board just because I, I can't give the time that I, I would like. Plus, you know, people like Steve Jobs used to always say, you know, he had to have covenants aboard. But he, 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 the type of board he liked was one that never turned up. And, and I can understand what he means. In a way, you want, as an entrepreneur, just to be getting on with the business. For me, the board is there for you to reach out to when you need them and to give you uh, guidance or feedback or opinions that might, might you know, give you an outside view on what's going on. Um, but of course, regulation and governance have all kicked in to create a slightly more powerful role for a board. But, but I think a lot of the time it can be a, a bit of a suck up of time and a waste of time to have a lot of, a lot of meetings. So in, in my companies, we, we used to have an AGM once a year and we'd make that a full day activity. So half a day of, of nothing but you know, hardcore chatting about the business and then half a day of like hanging out, having fun, uh, and connecting so uh so so that that's that's the main thing the agm and then what we the companies you know i invested in um, and uh, used to do really well most of them was you know once a month email update with the key things that were going on and it would tend to be you know like what we'd achieved this month the, the things that hadn't gone as well as we'd hoped um the cash in the bank cash flow situation and then uh ultimately the ask which would be you know what the board or, or, or shareholders could do to, to help the company move forward. And I found that to be very effective. And, and I, I can definitely read an email once a month and then you know, shoot back some support. Have I got time to sit in a two, three hour board meeting regularly? Um, no. Um, so, so I think you know, the team should meet regularly, the operating team. I think Staying in contact with, with investors is important, but I think more from a how can the investors help you perspective. Um, but I, I'm always very careful to, be, to, to not layer on too much, even the reports and, and some brilliant 
structural systems to do the reports but make a lot of sense but you know what you don't want uh, you know, as an investor anyway, is a startup not talking to you all year and then suddenly sending you an email saying, oh, we've hit a cash crunch, can you send us some money? You know, you, you, uh, <laughs> that happens quite often with startups, they need follow-on funding, but, but you, you know, as an investor, you prefer if you, you know, every month you're getting a basic truthful update and you can see what's happening. And so I always recommend to people to, to create you know, a, a simple template um, where you can, you know, like an e-newsletter that you might send to clients, but internally, that allows you to keep a regular communication with clients and keep them fully aware of, um, of, of, of what's going on. So that's how we do it. I don't know if that's useful to you, mate. Let me know. Um, let's see. Uh, Wayne, at the start of every podcast, you ask every case, what does success mean to you? What is your answer? Well, it's interesting. I've been affected by my guests, I must say. Um, I, I mean... So there's some great answers that I get on the podcast and always so varied and a couple of them made me cry, I don't mind admitting. Um, but for me, I think it, I, my, my view on success has changed over time like a lot of people. When I was younger, of course, it was financial stability and, and, and all those things. But, but, I, um, but I, I think for me now, success is, is kind of what I just mentioned. It's, it's freedom. For me, success is, is being free to work with who you want to work with Work on what you want to work on and, and, and have the time to, to do the things that, that, that matter to you. So, you know, I, um, I, I always say I, I, I personally never needed to own a boat. I just needed to have a friend that owned a boat. You know, I, I, I don't, I always think possessions can end up owning you. So I'm always very hesitant to put any sort of financial measure on things. That being said, you know, I, uh, I have a nice home and I like it. And, you know, I like, I like, I've got a mango smoothie right here. This, this is not a, a cheap thing to make. This is uh, organic uh, yogurt, organic mangoes. Very tasty. Been wanting to drink it for about five minutes. You know, so, so, but I never think money is a good measure of success. Um, and so what I see if money becomes the measure of success is that it's never enough. You always want more money. And that's a big mistake if you ask me for people. Um, because what happens is you, you know, well, first of all, money only makes you happy if you're already happy. Can you please give me a like if you think that's true? Money only makes you happy if you're already happy. If you guys agree with me, I'd really appreciate a little thumbs up on that one. Because I, but I know that to be true. You know, and, and, so, and actually, if you're an unhappy person and you make money, it, it makes it worse. So that's why you see a lot of people fall into drugs or, or, or alcoholism and so on. But, you know... Definitely, um, without doubt, my, my view of success is this concept of freedom. I always think of that uh, Braveheart scene where Mel Gibson, you know, is, is being killed basically by, by the, the British and as he's screaming his last word, his last word is freedom. And I feel that way, you know, like, and that's why when PwC bought my business, you know, I never, I would never entertain a conversation working for them because... That would be the opposite of freedom. Um, and, I, and I love those guys, they're super smart. They've uh, done a great job um, expanding um, my, my, my business. And, and you know, they're, 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 they're very, 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 very hardworking, smart people, but I, I wouldn't want to work for them. So that would be, no matter the amount of money, and people say, oh yeah, well, if they offered you a billion dollars, you would have done it. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I don't need that much money, you know, so that's, you know, I, for, well, in the context of, I don't need a billion dollars. I, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, and, and I don't, and I even, I think building businesses, the fun thing is actually sometimes starting them off without um, lots of money. Uh, I enjoy the fight of building something. I find that if people start businesses, for example, with a lot of money, they end up hiring lots of people and losing touch with the client base, for example. Um, and, and so I like, I mean, even my podcast show now, I, I, I'm doing a lot of it myself. I could hire people to do all these things. I've got the finances to do that. But, but I find it quite interesting to do it myself because I can feel what people need and what they really think. And, and if I'm hiring someone to do all that for me, I, I've seen a lot of businesses fail this way. Most businesses that do well aren't that well funded, actually, at the beginning. Um, because you, you know, if they are, people end up sitting in their ivory tower with their fancy office, and they never actually get into the, the the trenches and find out what people really want. So, so yeah, um, 
But success to me, Wayne, is, is freedom. Success to me is um, having the ability to, to do things that I find purposeful. And the ultimate, ultimate freedom at this stage in my life is being able to do those things without having to worry about the money. So I can help people um, because I can, not because I need anything out of them. And so um, I'm mentoring a, a young kid at the moment who came out of prison and no one will give him a job, no one will give him a chance. Super smart, um, deserves, deserves a break. But you know, um, it, it's not, I'm not looking to get anything out of him other than help him and it, and it feels good. It feels right and, and it feels, I feel so blessed that I'm at this stage in my life and that's success to me, that, that ability to help someone like that without needing anything from them in return. I, I don't need to work for me and make me money. I don't need them to start a business and me take equity in them. I don't, you know, none of the things that you can argue that I've done in the past, like build an investment business where I've taken equity in people's businesses. So why am I helping them? Because I've got equity in their business. And, and, and that's fine. But I feel like then, you know, you have a reason for helping people um, because you've got equity in their business. Equally, if I'm, you know, in the past, my agency business, maybe I'm charging a membership fee or I'm charging a service fee and I'm helping them because they're paying me a service fee. Um, so I, 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 you know, I've always been in the business of wanting to help people, but I've always had to monetize. Um, but now I feel just so blessed that my the ultimate success for me is this place where, you know, I, I, I can help people and I don't need anything in return. It is, it is just an amazing feeling. And, and so my whole obsession now is, is ultimately maintaining that, that wonderful state of, of, of being you know, transparent, genuine and helpful without any need for anything in return. Um, that being said, you know, I, I, I do ask people to subscribe to my YouTube channel, for example, but this isn't because um, I need the fame, but I ask people to do it so that the content I'm producing can reach enough people and be useful. Of course, that makes sense and that matters. I want people to um, um, get access to the resources that I'm producing. And so, um, you know, ask people to subscribe to my channel, but I'm not asking them to subscribe to my channel to make any money out of it. Um, on my podcast show, for example, people are kind of shocked, but you know, I'm losing £10,000 a month funding that platform and I have zero income from it. So I'm spending £10,000 a month on a platform that gives people content and information for free. And, you know, uh, and, and, and people might wonder why, but, you know, there is, there, is a, there is a reason why I'm doing it. The reason why I'm doing it is because when I was 15 years old and, and left school and left home and started a business, I didn't have anyone helping me. And so um, I, you know, I, I want to go back to that younger me and help that person. And, you know, people, and I think that, that you know, it, it's just a calling. It's, it's quite an emotional thing, you can argue. But, you know, I, and, I, and I do think, I'm, saying, I'm spending £10,000 a month on my present platform, but I, equally I'm quite happy... Um, to fund that for the, for the forever, but I, I I do have ways to monetize. I just have decided at this stage not to monetize because I I do think sometimes monetization can also cause conflict of interest. So I've got brands that want to sponsor my podcast show, for example, and you just got to be careful. Um, Alex and I talked about this the other day. Actually, you just got you just got to be careful when when sponsors come into the community and. Um, and for me, I want anyone that gets involved in my community to have the same mindset. If people want to support and sponsor, then great, but I want them to do it without expecting anything in return. And that is hard to find in corporate relationships because they always want you to sell something for them. And I, and I want them to help regardless of what they get back. Um, so, um, yeah, anyway, uh, Wayne, I hope I've answered your question in a long, long-winded way. Uh, so, do you video trust? Was this Alex? What are you saying? Make, uh, make Simon do a video in London dressed as Mel Gibson in that scene. Oh, I would love to do that. I'm such a big fan of that movie. It made me not like the English. I'm English, and I watched that movie, and I'm like, bloody English. You know what did they do to the Scottish? Crazy. I love making me want to watch Braveheart now. I love that film. Probably my favorite film. One of my favorite films. That maybe Shawshank Redemption would be, you know, number two. Um, what are your favourite movies, folks? Tell me your favourite movies and why. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, hi, Kirsty. Uh, do you find if you don't need money, you can be more direct with people with no fear of losing their investment, working to their agenda? Does it bring clarity? Um, it's a good question. I... I guess, okay, there is a pro and con to not needing money, right? The pro is what you're talking about. 
definitely. I think that you have, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, I had a conversation today with a, with a huge company and they want to get involved in my podcast show. And, you know, I, I'm able to craft the partnership that I want because I don't need their money. In fact, I'm talking to a different department initially than the people that would provide the money. I'm talking actually direct to um, the deputy CEO, whereas normally if you want money, you'd be talking to the marketing department. Um, and maybe the deputy CEO or the CEO would sign off on the deal, but, but generally the marketing department would structure the deal because it's money going out if it's a partnership, funding, investment, sponsorship deal. So what's quite uh, interesting is when you can uh, negotiate from a position of, you know, I don't need your money, huge, enormous brand. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, this is what, you know, if you wanted to work with me, this is what you'd need to do. Um, you'd need to support me in communities like Shifties. Um, you, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to um, spread out the love and, and support and not just make it all about, you know, ultimately getting people to buy into your business. Um, I would not... Um, want say shifties compromised or my own community compromised by a brand telling us what we had to tell, say was good or, or not good again back to that you know i i want to advise people um on for example who to use as a bank or who to use as a internet provider based on what is actually good for their business not on who sponsored me but it's very interesting when you can negotiate with people from this point of like you know um these are the rules of my game and if you want to play in my sandpit, these are the rules. That is very powerful and actually very liberating. Um, I, I don't know about being honest all the time, though, because, you know, the, the, I, I mean, I talked to a bank recently and, and I absolutely hate them. I think the bank's got some, well, hate them is the wrong word. They, they, they've got some flaws in their bank. Um, but the people that are running the marketing and, and, and the deputy CEO, these are really nice people that are trying to fix these problems, which is interesting because a lot of people think these businesses don't want to fix these problems. They know these problems more than we do. And so that, that interests me, talking to good people inside a, a difficult brand interests me. Um, and, then, and then, but not having a conversation about, you know, you, as soon as they pay me money, I suddenly subservient to them. Whereas if I am actually, I don't need their money, I'm not subservient to them, which is fantastic. It's a fantastic dynamic. Uh, but it, it, it's kind of, however, the downside of, of having money, in my view, is, and I, I can only, you know, I talk for myself, and it sounds a bit arrogant, but I, being motivated to, to, to work hard. Um, when I was younger, 15 years old, I had no money. I had to work to pay the bills. And as life's got more comfortable, um, you know, I, I had a, a, a baby boy three years ago. You know, and I remember um, just before he was born, a lot of my friends would say, Simon, you know, start something, work, because, you know, you're going to want an excuse to leave the home and go and do something, you know. And I was like, no, I want to be part of the early years of my son. I want to be there to change nappies and be a part of the parenting process. And, you know, be like, oh, you know, you want to, you want to go do a job, Simon, and it'll be easier. And they're absolutely right, by the way. I mean, being a parent is, is the hardest job I've ever done. The most rewarding also. But anyone that's a parent will know, I mean... I've ran massive companies and it's, and it's an absolute doddle compared to like managing a, a two-year-old. Um, and, 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 I, and I would question any CEO that didn't agree. <laughs> um, they've probably not been a parent. But, um, you know, uh, and, 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 but it is interesting when you kind of haven't got the excuse. Like, I'm, I'm going to go do this crazy project, go on a two-month business trip to raise money for this business and, and you say, well, why would you be away from your family for two months to, to raise money for your company, for example, if you don't need the money? Why are you? So, the, so what happens is, you know, money makes you, can make you a little bit weak, I think. Kind of like, what's your purpose? Um, that's why I think money has to be replaced by purpose. That's why for me, it's not about, you know, creating another big valuable company for me now. I've done that, I've ticked that box. For me, it's about creating an impact. You know, when I see 730,000 people in the UK have lost their job in the last three months, you know, th these are good people. These are people that would have a job if, if we hadn't had COVID here. These are good people. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's just, it just crazy to me. And I, so I feel compelled to try and help a small, hopefully at least a, a small percentage of those people um, start something of their own and be self-sufficient. It doesn't have to be Facebook or 
um, or YouTube or, or LinkedIn or Twitter or any of those platforms you guys are all listening to uh, me talk tonight. It doesn't have to be that big. It can just be a business of their own that gives them um, purpose and, and, and is, is rewarding. But, you know, I, I feel like, in a way, sometimes not having money pushes you to go and earn a living, especially as an entrepreneur. And when you've got money, it can make you a little bit soft. So I, most people do what I did. When they make money, they, they become an investor for a while. Um, but the good entrepreneurs, and I think Alex Hughes said this in one of his posts a second ago, um, you know, good entrepreneurs always end up going back uh, into it somehow uh, because it's just in our blood and, and, I, and money can take, it, take some of the hunger away from you and that can kill an entrepreneur. I guess that's why a lot of people, when they retire, they die, you know? <laughs> I think the stats is most people within two years of retiring die. You know, if, you, if you're retiring and it's, it's doing nothing, when you've got this brain, you've got this knowledge, you've got this skill, you've got the hustle, it can, it can keep you alive. Um, I always talk about, I did a TED talk once and for the research for the TED talk, I, I discovered that Russian rats, um, which are exactly the same DNA as rats from England, um, Russian rats on average live a year and a half longer. And uh, the theory was that they had to fight harder for food and it wasn't so easy to, to survive in Russia and that made them stronger, fitter, mentally, physically. Whereas English rats could... Um, just hang out in London and there was crap everywhere and it wasn't that cold during the winter to the summer and you know so so um you know there's something in that analogy isn't there there's something in this kind of concept of like the fight makes us stronger and so that's the thing that that, that the money you've got to be careful with it I think um I can only talk from my own experience as well as a little bit of like you know you got you got to, you got to find a purpose um and and yeah money removes some pressure but it also adds some pressure I think someone in my family asks me for money every week, so there's, there's some downsides to money. <laughs> um, oh, Alison, glad you. Uh, I'm glad you you also like those movies. Yeah. Uh, hey, Luke, how you doing? Thanks. I just all my tech's not always working so smooth. That's kind of just bring it back up. Oh, happy Friday, mate. Good to see you. Yeah. Of course, Alex. I'm here. Well, uh, I, uh, I lost my co-pilot this evening. Alex couldn't join. Um, he, um, I think he got to his destination in Italy and pretended the Wi-Fi didn't work. So just decided to uh, sit back and watch me work and watch me squirm. And I've managed to squirm for uh, 57 minutes. So um, hopefully you guys found it useful. If you have any final questions before I go, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to, to chat. Um, it's uh, always interesting just to looking at the analytics to see uh, where everyone's connecting from. But um, I, I have a big community of, I worked in Hong Kong for 20 years. So um, a, a large chunk of my friends and network is actually in Hong Kong and China. And uh, it's about three o'clock in the morning there. So so uh, these, these broadcasts are really designed for you you guys in Shifties. Me and Alex came up with this, this platform to really try and just give help to you guys and hang out on a Friday night and chat. And so um, if, if you guys need anything, I'm, I'm here. Um, I, I, uh, I will, I've, ju I, I've just put up some new content on my YouTube channel um, and I'd really appreciate if you guys subscribe, as I mentioned earlier, so that my content can reach more people. I'm nearly at a thousand subscribers and I've been um, only in three months pushing my YouTube network, so I'll just add that on here. Um, that's where a lot of my community is chatting to me tonight. Um, of course, if you guys haven't already, feel free to connect to me on LinkedIn if I can help you in any way. I will say to people, um, if you, I have a live show on Wednesdays that I do, um, which you can connect through uh, my website, which I also put up now. And if you guys um, want to come on my Wednesday show, and basically I, I, uh, I help people with any business problems they have and try to get them through any business problems they have. And then we also broadcast that, that chat in the hope that anyone in my community around the world might be able to help. So um, last week I had a mental health app um, that needed some financing, which my community have since provided. And so, you know, I'm basically trying to connect the dots. So if you guys ever wanna come on my Wednesday morning show, 8 a.m. London time, share your story, share what you need, share what help you need, I will try to help you, of course. Uh, plus my, my community will try to help. But I do it at 8 o'clock in the morning.